Hello and welcome to the latest Funds Fan Podcast. I'm Kyle Caldwell, the Collectives Editor at Interact Investor. Coming up on the podcast is an interview with a fund manager who invests in other funds and investment trusts. In the interview, I ask Vincent Ropers, who manages multi-asset funds for Wise Funds, to explain how he goes about finding an active fund manager that is worth his or her salt. Ropers also names funds and investment trusts that offer inflation protection and also picks out a couple of potential investment trust bargains. But before we get to all that, as usual, in the first part of the podcast is a run-through of a couple of news stories related to funds and investment trusts. And as usual, I'm joined by Sam Benstead, who is the Deputy Collectives Editor at Interactive Investor. Sam, let's kick off with a piece that you wrote earlier this week on Scottish Mortgage. It was focused on the unlisted company component of the trust, which now comprises 25% of total assets. The news hook for the article was that the, was the lag effect between public and private market valuations. Could you firstly talk us through that and explain how Bailey Gifford values the unlisted holdings? Thanks, Kyle. So unlike in public markets, where investors decide on the price of stocks every second that markets are open, the price of unlisted stocks is far more murky. Either you get a new funding round for a company that gives a definite valuation, or a fund manager actually takes a stab valuing an enlisted company itself. For Bailey Gifford, this takes place via an internal valuations committee with oversight from an independent third party, a company called IHS Market. It values a third of the private component of the portfolio every month, so each three-month period provides a full portfolio valuation. However, I've got some doubts that the real value of private companies is being given. If you look at the value of some of Scottish mortgage investments that were private last year and then went public, their values have been marked down by up to 80%. Public markets are crushing the growth stocks it invests in, but this is not yet reflected in its private portfolio. I think it's uh, very valid, Sam, to have uh, those doubts. And it was reported in your article, Sam, that Jeffries, the stockbroker, calculated that half of Scottish mortgages holdings have been downgraded in January with an average drop of 10%. Tom Fairlong, equity analyst at Jeffries, said there could be additional write-downs to come when the remaining portion of the quota portfolio is reviewed during February and March. He noted that a further 10% of Scottish mortgages' total assets could be due to be revalued. According to Fairlong, applying the 10% discount points to a 1% drop in the trust's net asset value. The investment trust analysts that you spoke for in the article, Sam, they didn't seem concerned really about the risk of huge write-downs. That's right. They argued that the huge pile of cash or dry powder in private equity would prop up valuations when companies came to raise money again. They also said Bailey Gifford was very proactive in its approach and would reflect their true private market value. That may be right, but what concerns me as a Scottish mortgage investor is that when these private companies eventually go public, which they will, their values will immediately crash. We have just gone through a decade of cheap money, but interest rates are rising and there is no appetite for speculative stocks at the moment. This includes things like battery factories and biotech technology companies that Scottish Mortgage owns. We're now going to move on to the most popular funds and investment trusts with Interact Investor customers in March. For the full list of each top 10, do check out ii.co.uk. There are a couple of trends. One is that investors are increasingly looking at ways to inflation-proof, which was a driver behind JP Morgan Natural Resources entering the top 10 most popular fund table in March. 
for trusts. BlackRock World Mining has been in the top 10 trust table since January and is also continuing to prove popular. High inflation was also a factor behind Greencoat UK Wind entering the top 10 investment trust table in March. The trust, which as the name suggests, invests in wind farms in the UK and aims to provide investors with an annual dividend that increases in line with RPI inflation. Another trend in March was growth-focused investment trusts becoming less popular and investors were instead increasingly focusing their sights on wealth preservation trusts. Sam, could you run through which trusts exited and entered the top 10? Yeah, so what's going on at the moment is a reflection of the biggest theme in markets, the rotation from growth to value shares. So as interest rates rise to bring down inflation, investors begin to value future profits less. Basically, if they can get paid more to hold safe government bonds, then stocks that promise, but may not make a lot of money in the future, are less appealing. Therefore, customers have been selling trusts that buy growth shares, such as Polar Capital and Allianz Technology Trusts, and those from Bailey Gifford, and instead buying those that are taking out protection against inflation via index-linked bonds and gold. This includes trusts like Capital Gearing and Ruffer. And the final news item we're going to look at is a couple of articles that myself and Sam have written around the active versus passive fund debate. Sam, let's start off with recent research from S&P Dow Jones Indices. The research found that active funds investing in smaller companies in the UK did a far better job of beating their benchmark index than those funds that buy large and mid-sized companies over the past year. What are the reasons behind that? Well, first, let's just go into the research, which I thought was, which I thought was really interesting. So 75% of small cap fund managers last year beat their benchmark. However, just 15% of large and mid-cap managers did. Smaller stocks tend to be more volatile and less well-researched than large companies, which gives active managers a better chance of beating a benchmark than simply owning a stocks according to their size. They are far more likely to shoot up in value than larger companies, so managing to find the winners can be extremely rewarding. But over 10 years, S&P found that just 42% of small stock funds beat their benchmark. This shows that consistently beating the market is extremely challenging. My take on the active versus passive debate is that there are certain regions and certain parts of the market where it is more beneficial to pick a passive fund, such as in the US. But as ever, it's a case of doing your homework and then taking a view on whether to pick active funds, passive funds, or mix and match between the two styles. The latter approach, I think, is the most sensible thing to do rather than expose your portfolio to just active or passive. Although I was interested to spot in the global fund sector, there's been a very small percentage of active funds that have managed to outsmart the best performing passive funds over three different time periods, one, three, and five years. And that passive fund is LNG Global 100 Index Trust. And the key reason why this passive fund has fared so well is because of the makeup of the index that it follows, which is the S&P 100 index. The index has significant weightings to the US technology giants that have delivered exceptional performance, benefiting from loose monetary policy. The dominance of big US tech over the past couple of years has made life difficult for stock pickers. Going forward, however, this could well change, and we've already seen some early signs of that this year with the market rotation that's been playing out in response to high inflation and increases in interest rates. Therefore, investors may be less comfortable with the stock-specific risk that comes with the LNG Global 100 Index Trust. To read the full article, do check out ii.co.uk.
Our fund manager guest is Vincent Ropers, a multi-asset fund manager at Wise Funds. Vincent, to start off with, could you give a quick run-through of the two funds that you co-manage, the TBY's multi-asset growth and TBY's multi-asset income, and what's the current split between direct equities and collective investments in those two funds? Sure. Hi, Carl. Um, so as you said, we, we manage uh, two multi-asset funds. So one, the growth fund um, is a pure fund of funds that mixes uh, investment trust and open-ended funds. Um, the split historically has always been at least uh, 60 to 80% in investment trust with the reminder in open-ended funds. And the objectives of that fund is to outperform equities and to grow capital in real terms. So put the two objectives together, uh, it is to deliver equity-like returns, but with less uh, downside risk. Um, And our second fund is uh, the TBY's multi-asset income fund, um, which has got the objective of delivering an attractive yield. Uh, so at the moment, the yield uh, is around 4.5%. Uh, and to grow that yield in real terms, as well as growing the capital in real terms. So really three distinct objectives uh, there. Um, and in terms of the, the composition of the, the fund, Um, Historically, we've had some direct equities in that fund, uh, but we are transitioning away from from those. So the the split is currently 17% in direct equities, uh, 70% in uh, investment trust, and the remainder in open-ended funds. Um, And over the next few months, the idea is really uh, for that fund to become a pure fund of funds as well, uh, to have a, a strategy aligned with our growth fund. Um, and that's quite important because we are two co-managers on both of the funds, so myself and Philip Matthews. So we run everything together. So having the two strategies uh, aligned um, uh, is really uh, quite key for us. And across the two funds, are there any themes that you would highlight that you're seeking to profit from? Well, the, a theme that we've been um, running for a while now um, is, I would call it, undervalued recovery. Uh, so really since, um, uh, since the COVID crisis, um, we've been focusing both of the funds on, um, on parts of the market that uh, lagged the recovery. Um, so naturally, that has taken us towards um, value equities and uh probably towards more of the, the cyclical parts of the market. Um, financials, um, consumers, property, uh, with a lot of those names that even now, as of today, uh, are still trading below where they were in 2019. So that's that's one theme that we, we express across both of our funds uh, through value equities, through emerging markets, um, through UK, through Japan, so all those areas that have lagged the recovery in our mind. Um, more recently, we've been adding to um, our uh, biotechnology exposure and healthcare. So that we think is a very interesting sector, which obviously performed extremely well 
following COVID and with the, the vaccines and uh, most people have heard of Moderna and seen the share price uh, skyrocketing. Uh, but since last summer, the sector has really uh, performed poorly in absolute terms, underperformed uh, the broader market. Um, as an example, uh, the, the main biotechnology index is now at the same level as where it was in 2015, which seems really uh, somewhat um, uh, crazy that a, a, a sector that is that's proven to be uh, so dynamic and so vital uh, for um, population as a, as a whole um, uh, hasn't made any money uh, in the past seven years. So we've been adding to, um, to that sector. Um, and finally, it's not a, a theme that we're running Currently, it's a theme that we always look for, but um, uh, I would say idiosyncratic strategies is always something that we're on the lookout for. Um, so what I mean by that are managers that are in a, a particular niche um, and um, where because they're in that niche and because they're specialized in that niche, the performance of their funds is going to be very uncorrelated from, uh, from the market. So we've got a number of uh, activist managers, for example, uh, mainly on the small cap, um, small cap space in the UK, in Japan, um, in emerging markets. Um, so examples like uh, Mobius Investment Trust, AVI Japan Opportunities, Odyssean Investment Trust, um, and also in the uh, private equity space um, where um, uh, managers are uh, directly involved in the management of their, their private companies. So have got the, uh, the opportunity to, um, to create value and to push for value uh, themselves. And when you're investing in funds or investment trusts, what are the main attributes that you are looking for to try and identify an active fund manager that will outperform an index? I think for us, the way we look at um, investments in general is that we invest in people. So our clients are investing in us as people um, and we take our role of allocating capital very seriously. So that means that we spend a huge amount of time meeting with our managers um, and building a relationship with them. Um, and we only invest in funds at a point where we've built uh, some level of trust with the, the, the managers. Um, and that has proven particularly um, critical, I would say, um, over the past couple of years when we've had at least two major crises uh, in as many years, so COVID and now Ukraine. Um, and um, having that relationship with managers is critical. Uh, being able to rely on uh, their skills and to know that you can trust them and that they feed back what they see in their own markets uh, has really uh, played a, a big part for us. Um, and in terms of other characteristics that we, we look for in, in a manager, um, obviously we want them to have a clear philosophy, a clear process, so we know exactly the type of fund that we'll end up with. Um, uh, we want them to be as focused as possible, so we tend to avoid managers that run 
many different funds and uh, the fund we would invest in is only one of an array of strategies that that they manage um, we want the funds we invest in to be well you could say that get out of bed funds so the the fund the first fund they think about when they get up in the morning that's that's really critical um, and generally we want them to be hungry um, so that means that we are very wary of uh, asset asset gatherers, um, wary of um, corporate action in fund management houses that could um, diminish the appetite of a fund manager to really be focused on delivering alpha for us as uh, clients. I next wanted to move on to inflation, which is at its highest level in decades in both the UK and the US. Have you been adding inflation protection to the portfolios and which funds or trusts offer the best protection against inflation? We haven't really been adding new strategies purely as an inflation protection. Um, well, there is, there is one uh, which we added in our income fund, which is the BlackRock Energy and Resources Income Trust. Um, so there, uh, as the name suggests, it is invested in um, uh, in mining companies and in energy companies, only in companies that um, are part that in the the minds of the managers will be part of the transition towards um, uh, renewables. Um, but we think that's a good way to hedge again against inflation um, and to hedge portfolio because. As we've seen since uh, the the invasion of Ukraine, uh, commodities market is really where uh, inflation has has become really apparent. So we we gained that direct exposure there. But otherwise, we've got a number of strategies which we think are well placed in an inflationary environment, but we have owned them um, for a number of months already. So they were in the portfolio for other reasons than purely inflation, but. Inflation is um, is the cherry on top of the cake, if if you will, for those strategies. So, um, I would mention. Uh, so, in the commodity space, we've had exposure to the BlackRock Well Mining Trust uh, for a very long time. We've got exposure to the Jupiter Gold and Silver Fund uh, as well, which offers us some uh, not only inflation protection but also general general. Um, risk aversion um, uh, protection. Um, we have a number of uh, infrastructure um, strategies in both of our funds. So those as well are um, relatively insulated from inflation because a lot of the, the revenues are uh, CPI or RPI linked. So I've got a direct link with, um, with inflation. So we own uh, JLEN, for example. We own uh, the ECOFIN Global Infrastructure uh, Strategy. Um, we also have the last bit is uh, in the fixed income space. Um, well, actually, fixed income is the wrong term because they're all floating rates, so uh, it's it's not fixed, and and that I think is quite key. Um, we've noticed. Um, uh, us as as investors and like the 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 whole universe of investors out there that uh, it is under that undeniable that fixed income strategies are not offering the protection that they would normally 
uh, offer, uh, and that's because we are in an inflationary environment, we are in a rising rate environment. Um, so we've got zero exposure to uh, your traditional fixed income strategies, but we've got the flexibility to, um, to dig a, a bit deeper, uh, and we've gained exposure to floating rates through um, the 24 Income Fund, which is exposed to uh, asset-backed securities, i.e. Um, um, suites of payments that are backed by mortgages mainly, um, and those rates move up and down with, uh, with interest rates. Um, so we are protected there. We also have exposure in the infrastructure space to GCP infrastructure, which provides loans to uh, infrastructure projects. So there again, those loans are floating rates. Um, and similarly, um, Starwood European Real Estate is doing a similar thing, providing loans to, um, to real estate pr uh, projects. But those loans um, are once again uh, offering a degree of protection against inflation. Having interviewed you previously, Vincent, I know that you do like to try and find investment trust bargains when, when there are opportunities. Are there any investment trust discount opportunities at the moment that catch your eye? There are several. Um, one that has caught our eye for a long time uh, is in the private equity, listed private equity uh, trusts. Um, so we still find a lot of value in that space. And we think that although a discount is in itself is justified because those managers invest in illiquid um, uh, assets, um, we think that uh, the the broad market still doesn't recognize the great value that uh, those strategies can, can add to uh, a portfolio like ours. And we've been, those have been very successful investments uh, for us for, for years. Um, but at the moment, uh, the listed private equity trust that we own, um, we own a number of them. We own Pantheon, we own Oakley, we own, um, uh, BMO, private equity, all of those are trading between 20 and 30% discounts, and we think this is too wide. Um, other area um, would be biotech. So I mentioned it as a, as a theme earlier, but um, we think at the, the trust level, um, so not only the asset class is cheap, but the trusts that um, we, we like in that space are particularly cheap. Um, so international biotechnology trust and worldwide healthcare trust are the, the two that we own in that space. Um, and to give you an illustration, uh, international biotechnology trust today is trading at a 13% discount when a month ago it was trading at par. So it's telling you how much uh, movement uh, we has happened there in just a matter of, of weeks. Um, and... Finally, um, we should probably mention uh, emerging markets as well. Um, so obviously, the discounts have widened there um, uh, quite considerably uh, since the, in the, the war in Ukraine. Um, but um, we, we think that they uh, could offer some interesting uh, value from here. So in that space, I would mention the Templeton Emerging Markets uh, Trust. Uh, or the BlackRock Frontiers um, Investment Trust, which, uh, as the name suggests, only invests in frontiers market. Uh, so those markets that have got 
really nothing to do with with Russia uh, or Ukraine and are relatively uncorrelated to the events that are happening there. And finally, Vincent, a question that we ask all for managers that we interview, do you have skin in the game? I think we can say I've got skin in the, the game uh, on two levels. Uh, the first one is that Wise Funds is um, employee-owned. So I, like uh, all of my colleagues, uh, we own the company. And because the sole business of uh, Wise Funds is to manage the two funds that I mentioned, uh, our growth and income funds, um, in itself, that aligns our interests uh, uh, very well with our investors. Um, and the second point is uh, on a personal level with my personal investments, um, I've got uh, uh, about 90% of my investments are in our two funds. Um, and that is, well, not only because I, I believe in what, in what we're doing, but because uh, both of our strategies are so flexible um, can pretty much go anywhere, can access all those attractive opportunities and aim to offer um, uh, one-stop shop, one-stop solutions to, to our clients, uh, I really don't feel the need to uh, look anywhere else for my personal investments. So um, my investments are split between um, our growth fund and our income fund. Vincent, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. That's all we have time for. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Do check out ii.co.uk for our fund, investment trust and ETF analysis. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.